In the conclusion to our Mothman series, we'll look at the Mothman's connection to the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which resulted in the deaths of 46 people. Along with that, we'll dive into theories and possible explanations for sightings of the creature. We'll look at local journalist Mary Heyer, who had some run-ins with Men in Black and Strange Lights. And finally, we'll close the episode with a look at the Mothman Prophecies film. Welcome to another episode of The Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I am your host, Dr. Mystery. I tried to create living zombies. Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. All I gotta do is relax and they'll take me to their death. Last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. This is a wicked, wicked world. We are all evil in some form or another. Welcome, Mysterians. So, for those of you who missed out on our last episode, Mothman Part 1, you should probably go check it out. In the first part of our two-part series, we discussed the Mothman, and we discussed sightings of the Mothman, and encounters with strange entities such as Indrid Cold and poltergeist activity, strange lighting in the sky, UFO crafts. There was a lot of activity that went on in Point Pleasant. And we, we covered the majority of it in the first part of our series. Today, we'll continue our discussion. And we'll talk about, first we're going to talk about Mary Heyer, who was a local journalist. We talked a little bit about her in our last episode, but we're going to really dive into her story and her encounters with the Men in Black. So the Silver Bridge, we talked about it last episode. Just to recap, it was a bridge that uh, went across the Ohio River, and a lot of Mothman sightings happened before the collapse of this bridge. So a lot of people believe that the Mothman and the poltergeist activity, some people believe that they theorize that this was all a warning, that there was something bad happening, so that the Mothman was there to prevent a disaster or to warn of an impending disaster. And still other people believe that the Mothman brought all of this negative activity, these bad omens, and they believe that he is responsible for the collapse of the bridge. So we'll talk about those theories a little later on, but we should probably begin talking about Mary Heyer. This whole time that all of these activities were happening, and this whole time that John Keel was investigating, Mary Heyer was also investigating. So she had her own column in the local newspaper, and she would investigate these paranormal entities and these unexplained phenomena. And she worked with John Keel a lot in terms of getting him information about things that were happening. I believe there is like a significant chunk of the book that Mary Heyer helped John Keel gather information for. So like I said, Mary Heyer was a newspaper reporter, but she was also the office manager, and she worked at the Athens Messenger for 27 years. In her column, Where the Waters Mingle, in the Athens, Ohio Messenger, she regularly reported the latest sightings and paranormal events that were connected to the Mothman. One thing that's interesting is that, like I said, Mary worked with John Keel on these projects, so much so that John actually dedicated the Mothman Prophecies book to her and the people of West Virginia. Some townsfolk say Mary was so relentless in her pursuit for truth behind the strange occurrences that this led to the men in black paying her visits. Like I said in the last episode, John Keel really gives us a lot of men in black material from this book. So it's not just it's not just about the Mothman. It's also about the men in black. So there's a lot of men in black material throughout this whole book. And like I said in the last episode, we don't really talk about it that much. If you want to learn more about the men in black, go back. I believe it's episode four. We have like a, a lengthy episode about the Men in Black. And maybe we'll do another episode in the future about the Men in Black because, you know, they're really interesting. And, and there's, I actually was listening to this lecture that John Keel gave. Uh, I, I'm not sure where it was, but somewhere in the U.S. He's specifically talking about the Men in Black. And when he's talking about the Men in Black, there's a lot of um, Men in Black encounters. Some of them, they don't, some of them don't have Asian features or characteristics, but some of them do. Some of them have, some of them appear with tan skin and Asian features. John Keel has 
he kind of talks about in this lecture, not in this book, but in the, in the lecture I was listening to, he talks about how the men in black could be part of an underground city in Asia somewhere. So, you know, that's something interesting that I'd like to explore, but we'll, we'll definitely have to do another men in black episode and do like a deeper dive because there's a lot of material. I, I think I used two books sourcing for that episode and there's several of you know, like different writings and different theories about who the men in black are. Some people think they're supernatural. Some people think they're robotic, like they're electronics or something like that, like really far advanced robotic technology. We'll have to look at the men in black again in the future. In this episode, we're going to specifically be looking at Mary Heyer. And I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to explain what the men in black are. Uh, because there's so many different theories, but basically the men in black are, you know, uh, if you've never seen the movie, you should watch it because it's amazing. But the men in black are always connected to some sort of UFO sighting or, so, you know, something along those lines, some of this this paranormal and, you know, alien abduction, alien sighting, weird, indrid cold sightings. They're, they're always connected to those. So that's one of the reasons why Mary Heyer would have seen men in black if she did see the men in black. But as we'll go through here, there were plenty of witnesses to what Mary Heyer experienced. In one encounter that Mary had with the men in black, she said they were strange, tanned men driving black limousines and claiming to be census takers. And one night in January 1967, she was working late at her office when an unknown man walked in the door. He was short, about four and a half feet tall, and he had dark, deep-set eyes covered with glasses that had thick lenses. This man also had odd shoes on, and the, the soles of these shoes were uh, an inch or two. They were, they were thick enough that they added an inch or two to his height. He had long black hair that was cut squarely like a bowl cut, and he spoke in a peculiar, low-halted voice. So this is Mary's recorded description of the man. A halted voice is one when you're uncertain of what you're going to say next. You would sort of speak slowly or with a bit of hesitation. So I would say a lot of times when I'm speaking, I'm thinking about what I'm saying next. So that would kind of be a halted voice, right? You're not, it's not like one single flow. You're kind of stopping and thinking as you go. This man asked for directions to Welsh, West Virginia, and he kept getting closer and closer to Mary as he talked. She said that at one point in the discussion, she answered the telephone, and she noticed that when the man thought she wasn't looking, he picked up a ballpoint pen from her desk, and he studied it in amazement, as though he had never seen a ballpoint pen before. Then he grabbed the pen, laughed really loudly, and he ran out of the building. So that is a little bit of strange behavior. I don't know about you, but um, I don't normally get, you know, shocked and awed by a ballpoint pen and then steal it and laugh maniacally on my way out. It's definitely something I would do if you said, don't take my pen and you piss me off, then I would take your pen and laugh maniacally. But otherwise, it's just a weird encounter, right? And that's what a lot of these men in black encounters are. It seems like they, you know, similar to what we discussed in our last episode with Indrid Cold, it seems like they have kind of a vague understanding of human emotion. So Indrid, who is not a man in black, we talked about him in our last episode. So if you want to learn more about Indrid Cold, which is a, just an entity that appeared seemingly out of nowhere, out of a, a weird looking spacecraft to a few Point Pleasant members. The idea here is like with Indrid having that, he, he was also known as the grinning man because he sported this big Joker-like grin. And the idea is that they understand that a smile should be comforting, comforting and welcoming and non-threatening. But when you have a giant toothy grin the entire time, you know, and Indrid would speak telepathically to people. So he's not moving his, his lips or his mouth. It's just this like giant tooth-filled smile that you see for five minutes when you look at him, you know? So, you know, normally a smile would be welcoming and friendly, but when you have like a giant toothy grin, it's menacing and, and sinister. And that seems to be kind of the men in black connection with Indrid Cold and, and the men in black connection and, and all these sort of weird sightings of, of creatures and people is like, 
they don't seem to have an understanding of human nature and, and human emotion. So several months later, on May 5th, 1967, Mary Heyer saw the same strange man who had visited her office in January, but he was on the streets in Point Pleasant. Here in the street, he was wearing a khaki-colored uniform, but he still had on the odd, thick-soled shoes that added an inch or two to his height. When he saw Mary approaching, he seemed alarmed, and he ran toward a large black car that suddenly came driving around the corner, and he climbed in, and the vehicle took off. So, like I said, we, we dove into the Men in Black in episode four, but in that episode, at the very beginning, we hear from actor Dan Aykroyd, who had a similar Men in Black encounter. It's interesting to me that there are so many celebrities that are actually interested in the Men in Black and interested in aliens and UFO phenomena. So hearing from Dan Aykroyd, hey, I actually had a Men in Black encounter too. You know, he had that encounter. He was filming a paranormal show investigating UFO phenomenon. And he actually was told that the show was canceled and they had to stop filming. And as he went outside to receive a different phone call, that's when he had the Men in Black encounter. And it was the same kind of idea where they, they just like, you know, they, they zoomed away so quickly that they just kind of vanished, right? You like, you turn around and they're gone, almost. Three days after this encounter, at 11.30 p.m., Mary was driving and she was arriving home from a meeting. As she was heading into her home, a black car stopped outside her house and a man got out. He took a picture with a blindingly bright flash and drove off, leaving her a little disorientated and confused. She's not, probably not used to having paparazzi just show up at her door. So these encounters, I believe that they would have happened before the collapse of the Silver Bridge. But on the afternoon of December 22nd, 1967, during the Christmas week and soon after the local Silver Bridge collapsed, two men walked into Mary Heyer's office. Both of these men were short, but these men wore black overcoats and had dark complexions and eastern features. They wanted to know about the UFO reports in the area. They asked her what she would do if someone ordered her to stop writing her article and to stop talking about the UFOs and the Mothman and all this paranormal goings-on in Point Pleasant. Mary replied that she would continue to write her article regardless of what others ordered her to do. When Mary looked back down at her work, she looked up again to see if the men were there and they were gone. So she, they, they said, you know, what would you do if someone ordered you to stop writing this article? And she said, I would tell them to F off. And she looked down, looked back up, and they just disappeared. Later that same afternoon, another strange man walked into Mary Heyer's office. The man introduced himself as Jack Brown, and he was five and a half feet tall, with black piercing eyes, messy black hair, and long fingers. Although his complexion was darker than that of the two previous men, he also had eastern features. He wore a cheap, black, ill-fitting suit with a weirdly knotted tie. That, to me, sounds like my prom. <laughs> Sometime I'll have to tell you guys about my experience dating my pastor's daughter. That was an interesting experience. When I was dating her, I had promised her that I would go to her prom. However, before her prom, her and I had broken up, and we weren't really on speaking terms anymore. And, you know, my, my sister and I were friends with her sister and her and, like, a group of other people. And we sort of just kind of fizzled out and, and stopped, you know, we didn't talk on a regular basis. One day she called me and she said, hey, prom is coming up in a few days. I was wondering if you could still take me because, you, you know, you said you would. So obviously I said, yeah, okay, for sure. You know, I promised I would take you, so I'll take you. So I said to my mother, I need to find a, a suit for prom. And she said, well, you know, we're already paying for, your, you know, a suit for your prom, right? So we're not going to pay for a suit for somebody else's prom. I said, okay, no problem. Can you just find me something from the thrift store or something like that, right? My mother, you know, I'm in high school, so my mother's looking at the thrift store during the day, so I'm not there looking with her. When I come home from school, she brings me this tux that she had. It's not a tux. It's a suit. It was this itchy, gray, wool 
suit that looked like it had been made in like the 30s and it was massive and it was like it was way too big for me and it did not fit me at all it was just so wooly and itchy and it, and it it was like a fuzzy suit it was the worst thing i've ever seen and i mean that's what you get for a quarter but yeah so i had that i had that itchy wooly suit and i didn't know how to do a tie i i couldn't figure out how to tie it you know how to tie my tie now i have several ties and you know i'm i'm I might need a little bit of practice. It's been a minute since I dressed up. When I was younger, I had no idea how to do it. And uh, I remember tying, but I, I love ties. When I was younger, I wore a tie like over my t-shirt. I don't know. And I had no idea how to tie them. So they were always like weirdly knotted. Like I would have just tied it myself and it was just awful looking. And uh, I remember showing up to her her house or to showing up to the the school for her prom. And she was like, oh my God, I am so embarrassed. Why did I why did I even ask you to come to this? You look hideous. <laughs> so that's what I picture when I think about this Jack Brown. So Jack Brown, he claimed to be a UFO researcher, and he asked Hire, he asked her the same question that these guys asked her. He said, what would you do if someone asked you to stop writing your articles? And Mary said, well, are you with the two guys that I was talking to earlier? He said, no. She said, okay, well, you know, my answer is I'm not going to stop writing. People deserve to know the truth. So then the man asked about John Keel. And he asked if Mary had witnessed any UFOs in the area. He also wanted to know where John Keel was. And he wanted Mary to take him to the location where any UFOs had been spotted. Mary said that she couldn't just leave to go escort some strange man around and that she was going home for the night. She told him if he wanted to go and look around, that he should leave and he should go look himself. Several witnesses in the area, they say that this strange man visited them in their homes, which made them very uncomfortable. So Jack had claimed to be a friend of Mary Hire, and he brought a tape recorder with him, but he had no idea how to thread it or how to operate it. And that's another thing that we see with men in black encounters is it's it's the same thing with a ballpoint pen. It's like maybe they know what it is, but they've never actually seen one before. Or they've never actually used one before. So they're, you know, it's like someone who hasn't, ha like he just hasn't used a tape recorder. That's what it seems like, right? And that's a lot of men in black encounters is that they there's always something off about them. They don't know how to use what they're using. They don't know how to dress properly. They don't know how to have this human connection. That's something that connects him with the Men in Black, this Jack Brown character. Now, Jack didn't seem all that interested in the Mothman or in the UFO reports. Instead, he mostly asked these witnesses questions about Mary Heyer and John Keel. It seems like if we're looking at Jack Brown from the, the point of view that he is connected to the Men in Black, it seems like it's less about what's happening and more about who's looking into it. That lends a little bit of credibility to this conversation about the Mothman and UFO and all these paranormal, you know, sightings in Point Pleasant. If it was Men in Black, if if it if the Men in Black are connected to the government, then they would probably already know about any paranormal things or any strange crafts, anything like that. So now they want to know who knows about it as well, right? That's what it seems like to me. One of the Mothman witnesses, Linda Scarberry, she said in an interview that the men in black wore black suits, black hats, and sunglasses. The men in black looked like human beings, but their skin was somewhat transparent. You could see the veins in their hands very clearly. And now, I'm just going to say, you can always see the veins in my hands. So, I don't know if that really counts as anything because I am not a man in black and my skin is also like translucent. Uh, I don't know if anybody has seen my skin, but it's like it glows in the dark. It's so damn white. So I, I don't know. I feel like this is a personal attack and not, not a description of the men in black, but here we are. And again, their fingers were longer than a normal person's fingers as well. Okay, excuse me. I feel like this is a personal attack right now. Daddy shook hands with them, and he said they were awkward in shaking hands. They seemed to not know what to do or how to shake hands. So again, 
That's, that's typical men in black behavior. She said, one of the cars would follow us around. There were three men in the car, and the men in black went so far as to follow us through the drive through of a restaurant. We were all afraid to turn around and just looked in the mirror at them. There's kind of another thing that we see with the men in black is that they usually appear in threes. One interesting thing that John Keel talked about in his Men in Black lecture was all throughout history when we see three men, you know, three wise men in the Bible, three men that went to Gomorrah. I believe it was three men that went to Gomorrah. But, you know, when you're, whenever you see a trio, John Keel was talking about how this could be a Men in Black encounter or it would be considered an MIB encounter nowadays. So we're definitely going to have to do a deeper dive into some of John's theories about the Men in Black. In this episode, like I said, we're just talking about Mary Hire and the people of Point Pleasant. And I think that the, you know, this little Men in Black conversation that we're having right now, it's, there's a lot bigger conversation to have about the MIB, but this is what is relevant to Point Pleasant and to the Mothman story. Before we move on from the Men in Black, a friend of Mary Hire's, her name was Dottie Campbell. Now, Dottie spoke on the subject of the Men in Black in various interviews. She said that she and Mary were very frightened by them, and that Mary had mentioned to her that the strange men never seemed to blink their eyes. So we've kind of briefly touched on this idea of the Mothman and, and why he would appear. So, you know, let's explore this idea of is the Mothman a harbinger of doom and death, or is it a warning of impending death or impending doom? In our earlier episodes, we talked about more Halloween-centric stuff because, it, you know, when we started, it was, we, we did our first three episodes in October. I'm definitely excited about our, our one-year anniversary when we do another three-part Halloween special. But in earlier episodes one and two, we discussed banshees and other, you know, um, heartbringers of death and doom and other warnings of impending death and doom. So the banshee is an Irish death fairy, and she has glowing red eyes, and she'll bellow and scream as a warning of impending doom or death. So like the banshee, some believe that the Mothman is foreshadowing a future tragedy or impending death. I'm not sure if I really touched on this at all in the first episode, but the Mothman, some witnesses would say that the Mothman would let out a woman's shriek, like it would be like a high-pitched shrieking sound or screaming sound. So that, to me, was an instant connection with the Banshee, because the Banshee is the same idea. If you see the Banshee, it will just scream at you and probably, you know, make you shit your pants. But the idea is that the Banshee is saying, it's warning you, hey, you're going to die soon, or something tragic is going to happen to you, that sort of thing. So when you see that the Mothman lets out these, these shrieks, these loud shrieks, it kind of makes that connection to me with, with the Banshee as well as that impending doom. One man says he saw a dark shadowy figure similar to Mothman one evening while caring for his ill father. The figure first appeared as his son at the foot of his bed. When he asked why his son was at his father's house and how he got there, it transformed into this giant shadow-like figure. His siblings said their father had mentioned how he had seen a similar dark figure appear when he first became ill and experienced heart problems five years prior to his death. So a lot of individuals who encounter the Mothman or who had experiences with the Mothman, they came down with something known as conjunctivitis. So, you know, conjunctivitis is pink eye. So I don't know how many of you have farted on your siblings' pillows, but it does give them pink eye. So that, there's a little insight into my relationship with my sister. Uh, <laughs> so conjunctivitis is pink eye, right? But the conjunctivitis that these individuals would get from the Mothman was more of a sunburn. So it's like a retina burn. So these, a lot of people that looked at the Mothman would have this pink eye, but it wouldn't, it would be like if you looked at the sun and the sun burnt your eyeballs kind of thing, right? Like you're looking at something that's so bright that it's damaging your eyes. 
So that's another thing that a lot of people experience with the Mothman. So there's some people that think that Indrid Cold and the Mothman and these paranormal entities and the UFO, and they believe that it's all interconnected. Now, one theory is that this entity is one and the same. The Mothman, Indrid Cold, the lights, all this stuff. And that it's an entity that appears differently for different people. And that's something that I think is a really interesting theory or an idea to chase that maybe these things are all interconnected and we just see them a little bit differently. It wouldn't explain why, you know, like seven out of 10 see the Mothman and three out of 10 would see Indrid Cold. This idea of the interconnectedness of all of these paranormal entities and all these, these creature sightings, John Keel talks about the interconnectedness and the uh, possibility that all of these things are, are connected, that either they are the same or that they come from the same place, that sort of thing. So in, in the book, he speaks of ultra-terrestrials. So these ultra-terrestrials are beings who inhabit parts of the electromagnetic spectrum that were imperceptible to the human eye. So that's page 239 on this, on, in this book. That's a quote from him. So the theory is that you know, these interdimensional beings, are, they're all connected, where they all cause paranormal sightings because of their connection. So uh, you know, getting back to that idea about this, you know, these entities appearing differently depending on who's viewing them, it could explain why sometimes the Mothman is gray, sometimes he's black, sometimes he's brown. But, you know, you get, again, the idea about these ultra-terrestrials and these interconnected beings is that the, the theory is that in Point Pleasant, there, there was some reason why Point Pleasant could act as a window for these entities, for these, these ultra-terrestrials. So I thought the ultra-terrestrial theory is kind of interesting that all of these beings are just kind of like interconnected and they're all, when you, when you experience one thing, that leads you to a greater chance of experiencing more and more. So there's multiple theories about what the Mothman actually could be. You know, we, we talked about the TNT area in Point Pleasant and how it was a munitions World War One or World War II munitions plant. and they were dumping toxic waste and toxic chemicals. So some people theorize that these toxic chemicals could have had an impact on the wildlife. And one theory is that the sandhill crane could have been changed or morphed or affected by the toxic waste in the munitions area, in the TNT area. This encounter with the Mothman, basically it was a man and his son and they saw a giant flock of massive birds. I mean, this is my theory. This is what I think they saw. They said that they saw several giant flying humanoid creatures, and it looked like they had glowing red eyes, or their eyes were red or whatever. And they said that there were several of them, and they all lit off and took off together and took flight. And so the idea that the Mothman could have been a sandhill crane that theory gets a little bit more credible when you think, you know, when you hear that there were several of them near a river. It's a sandhill crane. It's near the fucking river. If there is a Mothman, I don't think there's going to be seven or eight Mothmen, right? So that's one theory that's really popular is that all of these sightings were from the uh, sandhill crane because of the red banding or the red eyes of the sandhill crane. Another idea, another theory is that the Mothman could be a giant owl. It could be a giant owl that could be affected by the toxic waste in the swamp, or it could just be a, you know, a, a giant owl that had the chance to grow up massive. So with owls, owls have this thing called eye shine. So eye shine occurs because of an animal's tapetum lucidum. This is a layer of tissue behind the retina that reflects visible light. And this reflection increases the light available to the animal's photoreceptors, and this gives it superior night vision. So this eye shine, it'll give off a bright glow, which makes the owl's eyes appear to be like floating glowing orbs in the sky at night, or bright red when strong light is reflected off their eyes. So like a flash from a photograph or headlights of a car, 
it'll it'll reflect off your eyes and make your eyes look red. But with an owl, with their their night vision and how their their you know their dark camouflage feathers in the middle of the night, all you're gonna see is floating red eyes, right? So if this is a massive owl, like a big bird, and it takes flight and it just seemingly takes flight out of nowhere. And a lot of these people who have the experience with the Mothman, they say that it's just basically two floating eyes, two glowing red circles, right? So the theory of eye shine gets more credible the more you dig into it, that these people could just be seeing a giant owl or a giant sandhill crane, right? When we're talking about the theory about owls and eye shine, we could specifically look at one owl in particular, and this owl has a large population in the area. This owl is called the barred owl. These owls have extra red blood vessels in their eyes that make them glow a brighter, more vibrant red than most species. Now, one really interesting theory, if you don't know about Project MKUltra or Subproject 68, then you should go back to episode 10. Now, episode 10 is an hour and a half long, I think, or it's over an hour long, however long it is, but it is chocked full of information about Project MKUltra, Subproject 68, and the secret experiments that the Canadian and the U.S. government would conduct on its citizens and foreign citizens. So, you know, MKUltra is a really, really interesting subject, and I feel like even though we did that deep dive sometime in the future, we're definitely going to do an even deeper dive into MKUltra and Subproject 68 because it's fascinating. It's fascinating the things that the government will do to you to just to get a little bit of scientific information. If you don't know about MKUltra, the idea is that scientists for a lot of them were Nazi scientists. We can do a deep dive into Operation Paperclip sometime, where we brought Nazi, actual Nazi war criminal scientists, and they brought them over to the U.S. to work for them. Good job, guys. You did it. Some people speculate that this government mind control experiment, where they experimented with numerous, numerous, strong, extremely strong-dosed hallucinogenics, so this CIA Project MKUltra, some people speculate that this was responsible for the paranormal phenomenon seen in Point Pleasant. The theory is that the CIA was experimenting either on the town as a whole, and that they had laced the town's water supply, or that they were individually dosing certain townsfolk with hallucinogenics, which caused the sightings. So... You know, that theory is a little bit more complicated. It would take a lot for, it would take a lot of secrecy for a government organization to test out hallucinogenics in a whole town's water supply, right? I mean, in theory, it could work and it could be being done right now, even as I'm drinking this, this beautiful bottle of water beside me, I could be drinking something, but it's okay because I take hallucinogenics anyway, so it's fine. Just add to the pot. There is a little bit of logic behind it, though, if you think about it, right? Especially if it's a combination of these birds with their eye shine or their the red banding or the red eyes and hallucinogenics. So if it's a combination of the two, there's definitely a way that you, if you were on hallucinogenics and you didn't know, that you could see an owl and think, holy shit, that's an alien from a different world, right? As it spins its head around, oh my god, it's the bitch from The Exorcist. So I definitely see that, you know, so far all these theories to me are pretty credible. So in the Ohio Valley area during the 1960s, the Defense Logistics Agency, they had a facility in the area. So there are also rumors about psychological operations being conducted by the Defense Logistics Agency. In 2014, a Soldier of Fortune magazine article claimed that the Mothman sightings were the results of Green Berets who were experimenting with new techniques to insert special forces into enemy-held territory in Vietnam. One method that he claimed was covertly tested in the Point Pleasant area was the high-altitude, low-opening halo free-fall parachuting technique. Luminous paint was used during the exercises to keep track of the soldiers. What the Green Berets making those jumps didn't figure on 
was the fact that people on the ground could see them as well. This seems like a like a plausible theory to me. The luminous paint could explain the lights around the creature, and the parachute and the soldier together could represent the creature itself, right? They could have seen the the parachute as wings or whatever, but I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't seem as credible as the other theories. Like this seems like the least credible theory to me, but you know, there was this soldier that claimed that it did happen, and there was a you know, this article that was written about it. So, you know, maybe it's not necessarily this one thing. They could have been experimenting with other things. I mean, you never really know what the government has, right? They could be really far ahead of us, like really technologically advanced, and they could have those winged suits that the Falcon has in the Avengers. Now, the Mothman Prophecies film is a 2002 American supernatural horror mystery film which was directed by Mark Pellington and it starred Richard Gere and Laura Linney. This film is based on the 1975 book The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. The Mothman Prophecies story follows John Klein, Richard Gere, a reporter who researches the legend of the Mothman. Overall, I really, really enjoyed this film, but I thought the movie was more about sanity and the supernatural and ultra-terrestrials than really about the Mothman. It's more about how, you know, Richard, in the movie Richard Gere, he loses his wife in a tragic accident. And the whole idea of the movie is about Richard's sanity and him like he's he's trying to do this research into the Mothman and these paranormal entities, strange occurrences that are happening in this town, and he's using it as a way to try to connect, like reconnect with his wife. So can you somehow connect me to my dead wife? The movie takes some liberties by changing John Keel's name in the movie to John Klein, and they also make him a Washington Post journalist. The witnesses and the eyewitness testimony in the movie is pretty similar to real-life testimonies, which I thought was really neat. The witnesses are all reputable people of high regard, same as the witnesses in the book. They use every opportunity in this movie to turn any shape into a mothman, bat-like creature. So one thing that I mentioned in our last episode, I think, I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a weird take on it, I thought. but. They kind of uh they kind of split John Keel between the main character and an author of paranormal ufology books. So it was kind of like they they took John Keel and they split him into two different people, which was kind of interesting. So it's like when Klein was talking to the ufologist, it was like he was like he's just talking to himself. It's the way that I looked at it because you know, after reading this book and a couple other works about from John Keel you know, we know that he is both a journalist and a ufologist. So to have them separated into two different characters was a really interesting take. In the movie, they have this really interesting take on the Mothman, and they kind of pull this Final Destination sort of vibe with all the premonitions about catastrophes and uh, future deaths. So I really got like a, like a Final Destination vibe in certain parts of this with them showing the premonitions about death and that sort of thing. And, you know, with this idea of the premonitions, that was one of the the things that a lot of people theorized about the Mothman, is that he's not bringing these things with him, that he's trying to warn us of things that could happen in the future. So, similar to real-life Mothman sightings and paranormal occurrences in Point Pleasant, you know, some significant events in the movie, take place near a cement plant and near a chemical factory. So, you know, they they did try to have some of the, the similarities, the same connections there. Indrid Cold even makes an appearance delivering another premonition at one of these factories, but he, he doesn't have the creepy wide-tooth-filled grin that Indrid Cold is known for, that the, the grinning man is known for. So that's something that I was a little disappointed about. You see Indrid Cold, but you don't see that ginormous toothy grin. There's a scene where John talks to Indrid Cold over the phone. And 
I found that scene absolutely terrifying. Cold's voice is is garbled and the cutscenes are really quick and it, and it's really, you know, messy, but it was beautifully done and you know, the way that he speaks and the way that the, you know, the cuts were, it really shook me. Overall, the movie really focuses on more of a perspective as if these were premonitions, as if the sightings of the Mothman and communications with Indrid Cold are warnings of impending doom. So they really lean heavily into that in this film. One conversation I thought was really interesting, when they were discussing the entities, or quote-unquote ultra-terrestrials, the two versions of John Klein, or I guess, excuse me, the two versions of John Keel, which are John Klein and Alexander Leake, and he is the ufologist and the paranormal researcher. What's interesting is this conversation that the two John Keels have. John Klein says, I think we can assume that these entities are more advanced than us. Why don't they just come right out and tell us what's on their minds? And Alexander Leake replied, You're more advanced than a cockroach. Have you ever tried explaining yourself to one of them? So that's, that's something that I, I thought was really interesting, because if these beings are ultra-terrestrials, even if they, you know, if it's multiple entities or if it's one entity that appears differently to different people, you know, if, if ultra-terrestrials do exist, they're not going to waste any time talking to us and explaining to us things that we are never going to understand, right? So I thought that was a really, like that moment, that conversation, that whole conversation that they had really stuck out to me, but that those, those two lines really, uh, you know, that back and forth really stuck out to me as well. So like we said in our last episode, the Mothman sightings or sightings of a, a bird or a bat-like humanoid creature, they've been occurring since as early as the 1800s. And you can find evidence of this in, in literature, in historical texts, you, you can find evidence throughout history of Mothman bat-like, you know, humanoid creature sightings. So we discussed in our last episode how most of these paranormal Mothman UFO sightings, they were all occurring from like 1966 to 67. And in 67, the Silver Bridge collapsed. So when the bridge collapsed, a lot of people were done talking about the Mothman. Because you've lost all these people. There's been such a tragic, devastating disaster. The largest bridge collapse in U.S. history. And it's a small town and it's probably greatly affected by that. So at a certain point, people don't want to hear about the Mothman because a lot of people did believe that the Mothman was the cause of the Silver Bridge collapse. So in our last episode, we talk about how the first couple... Like, there was a group of men that were bearing a body that saw a Mothman, or Mothman-like creature. But there was a, a two couples, two young couples, who were chased by the Mothman. Now, when that, the two couples, the, the foursome, when they made their report about the Mothman, the whole town lit up. And everybody was grabbing their shotguns and running out to the woods to go search for the Mothman. And everybody was seeing the Mothman. Everybody, you know, hundreds and hundreds of reports to reporters and police about Indrid Cold, Mothman, you know, paranormal events, poltergeist activities, lights in the sky, UFOs. So for that, like, year or 13 months, it was nonstop Mothman, Mothman, Mothman. Now, after the collapse of the bridge, you don't hear anything about the Mothman, right? You know, if we look throughout the time from, you know, 67 to 2021, we could find a lot of cases of people spotting the Mothman. There were significant Mothman sightings in Chicago from April to July of 2017, where people claimed that they saw the Mothman or a Mothman-like entity in Chicago. More recently, there are internet rumors that have reported sightings of winged humanoid creatures immediately before other natural and man-made disasters. I guess not more recently, I don't know, it's, it's sporadic, but the, the general idea here is that, you know, earthquakes, the Chernobyl disaster, and 9-11, people have claimed that, at, you know, like a lot of natural and man-made disasters that have occurred, that they've seen the Mothman, and people in Chicago were reporting the Mothman in 2017 for several months, 
Now, more recently, if you go on the internet and you just type in Google and you just type in Mothman, you will see that people have been reporting the Mothman occurring still. So if the Mothman is real, there are still cases of people seeing the Mothman. If the Mothman isn't real, there are still cases of people seeing the Mothman. You know, we do a lot of these episodes where, you know, I'm like, ooh, we're going to dive into this and we're going to dive into that. We're going to really talk about the Mothman or we're going to really talk about Men in Black or aliens or whatever. But, you know, after doing, you know, a full episode or two full episodes or multiple episodes, you know, it's frustrating because we end up at the same spot. What the fuck is it? Right. But, you know, I'm presenting this information to you so that you can study it and you can look at it and you can know more about the Mothman. I personally think that these ultra terrestrials are definitely real. I think that the men in black are definitely real. I don't know if every theory about them is correct, right? I don't know if the Mothman is real. If the the uh, seven foot, 10 to 15 foot wingspan, massive, fuzzy, glowing red eyed, woman shrieking creature is real. You know, whether it was hallucinogenics in the water, whether this is something that uh, somebody saw late at night and it just scared the fuck out of them, you know, I I still really don't know. But I do believe that there are ultra-terrestrials, and I believe that even if the Mothman isn't real, some people could see an ultra-terrestrial that could appear like the Mothman. So that's my take on it. Again, we're kind of still at that point, like, what is it? But, you know... There's, there's the Mothman. It's a really interesting story. You know, it's really interesting to look at the different theories about the Mothman. And I think that if you ever, ever have the opportunity to go to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and see the Mothman statue in the museum and talk to people there who have seen or experienced the Mothman, I think you should definitely do it. Because it, it might change your opinion on what you think about ultra-terrestrials or aliens or Mothman or, you know, Indrid Cold. But I will tell you one thing for sure before we end this episode. I will tell you one thing. Aliens, Men in Black, Mothman, Indrid Cold, those are things that I would love to read about and maybe even see from a distance. I would never want to have an encounter with any of these creatures. Because, first of all, no one's ever going to believe you. Second of all, everyone's going to think you're crazy. And lastly, if you are abducted by men in black or aliens, they're probably going to stick something in your ass. So there it is. I don't know. I don't know what more you want from me. I just don't want anything in my ass. Is that how we're going to end the episode? Maybe. Maybe. Thank you to everyone on the socials. And thank you for everyone tossing us reviews on iTunes and Podchaser and other platforms. You guys mean the world to us. This episode is produced by Death Hotel Creative, hosted by myself, Dr. Mystery. To view more, and to grab your exclusive Cabinet of Mystery merch, visit us at notwhatwesay.com. Check out our Instagram at Cabinet of Mystery, or our Twitter at Open the Cabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can hit us up either on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and appear in upcoming episodes, leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash cabinetofmystery. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe or follow for more episodes. Hello, hello, ghouls, ghosts, goblins, and everything in between. Welcome to Across the Veil with hosts Emma and Zelda. We're two amateur cryptozoologists on a mission to explore the things that lie beyond. Beyond what? I I, I don't know. The the veil? It it just sounds poetic and mysterious. True. (laughs) Learn about cryptids, folklore, monsters, and things that are just kind of haunted. Anything that seems a little otherworldly and strange. Just like us. (laughs) New episodes out every Thursday on all of your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at across.the.veil and Twitter at acrosstheveil1. We hope you join us next time. Across the Veil.
Hey, it's Dan from the Pop Culture Hootenanny Podcast, and I just want to give you a little intro breakdown of what our show is. We're kind of a movie review podcast. We talk about random nonsense that comes up from the backstories, behind the scenes stories, and whatever else we want to talk about during our episodes. Uh, here's a few clips to check us out. There's a why do we cheer on? And this is a question for what we can discuss right now. Why do we cheer on sociopaths in movies where we know that they're doing wrong in almost every single way? Because we like the I, hijinks that ensue. Because it's yeah, we it's it, we like the hijinks that ensues, right? Art and Tony. Art and Tony. Yeah, they're the best written characters, right? You know what I mean? Like she's trying to make amends and saying the kids would love to have you over, and I would love to have you over. And then as soon as he gets that okay, he just starts digging into the fact that she changed her name, right? And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. This is the 80s. Changing your name in the 80s is kind of a big fucking statement. We have so many jaded tropes in our head. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, there are certain movies that will try to make something look serious. And for a younger generation, it might be their version of, let's say, Arnold calling out the Predator. One, two, three, four, pop culture. Ooh.